No, do the do the Matthew McConaughey version. So much better. I'm not doing. I'm not. No, <laughs> Jeff, I'm not Jeff, doing that. we're elevating. We're elevating. <laughs> we're elevating. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Oh God, um, no. Is anybody listening? Can anybody hear the crazy things they say? Is anybody listening? Or are you happy just to laugh at them and call it a day? Hello and welcome to the Collier Democratic Roundup, the official podcast of the Collier County Democratic Party. My name is Jeff Spencer and I am the vice chair of the Collier County Democratic Party and the host of this podcast. Thank you guys for clicking on. On this week's podcast, we have the president of the Collier County NAACP, Vincent Keys. President Keys and I talk about the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the protests that have grown over the last two weeks across the country. We also have our panel discussion with Amber and Linda where we dig into the protests that are going on, the actions of the police, both now and prior to this most recent round of of protest and then we also look into the systemic problems that have led to African Americans being treated so unequally in so many facets of American life. But before we get into that, let's uh, get some party news out of the way. Uh, We have ongoing virtual phone banks going on throughout the month of June. Uh, We encourage everyone to get involved in that. The Florida Democratic Party is also uh, launching efforts to target voters to sign up for Vote by Mail. You can sign up to help us with that as well through our website. All of those things are on our website by signing up to volunteer. Our voter protection team needs volunteers. Voter protection is a very important aspect of what we do in terms of protecting everyone's right to vote. And we need to have uh, volunteers who are willing to man the polls either as poll watchers or poll greeters to make sure that there aren't any any illegal activity going on by uh, Republicans or anybody there trying to intimidate uh, people from casting their ballot. If you are a lawyer or a former lawyer, you could also assist in other ways by counseling or being in the command center. So please check out our website where you can sign up for the virtual trainings on poll watching and poll greeting by going to our calendar and signing up through there. We're excited to announce that due to the success of the candidate forum for the Democratic candidates in District 19, that we will be adding additional events, virtual events, in the next few weeks to highlight all of our candidates who are running. Florida House 105 has a primary challenge between Javier Estevez and Maureen Porras, uh, so they will be doing a candidate forum in the same vein that uh, the District 19 candidates did. But even in the races that we have no primary challenge and we have a single candidate, we are going to be doing some uh, candidate spotlight events where constituents can, voters can come in and listen to the candidate answer questions uh, that are important to the districts in which they're running. So look out uh, on our email list and on our calendar for the dates and times of that so that you guys can uh, check all of that out. Lastly, we wanted to give you guys an update. Uh, The Joe Biden campaign came down on Saturday, June 6th, and did a community event, a virtual community event. And the event was a huge success. Uh, We actually had to increase the capacity of the virtual meeting room to accommodate all of the people who signed up. Uh, So it was a a terrific event. A lot of people who are motivated to go out and support Joe Biden and, and help get him elected. The campaign gave us an update on some things that they're planning on doing and what they're what they're looking to accomplish here in the state of Florida and also here in Collier County. And everyone was able to go around and say why they were supporting Joe, why they were getting involved. So it was a great meeting and it was a great kickoff to uh, the campaign season here in Collier County. We do have uh, one event uh, to promote June 10th. Uh, tomorrow we We Can't Breathe rally at the Collier County Courthouse. This is organized by CERD, uh, and the NAACP is encouraging everyone to attend as well. This rally is is a peaceful protest uh, for the deaths of George Floyd uh, and so many other unarmed black men and women. The organizers are asking you to please wear masks, uh, practice social distancing while attending, And once again, this is tomorrow, Wednesday, June 10th at 6 p.m. at the Collier County Courthouse. And as always, please check out uh, all of our candidates that are running this year. We have a great slate, and they need your help and support this year to make a difference in Collier County. You can find all of their links to all of them on our website. So please, I encourage everyone to check them out.
And without further ado, we will move right into our interview with President of the Collier County NAACP, Vincent Keys, after a short break. If you guys are interested in hearing more about what's going on with the local Democratic Party, the Florida Democratic Party, local candidates, events, when they are possible again, and local news, there are a number of ways you can hear from us. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or just check in at our website for all the local Democratic Party info. You can find all of these signups on our website at www.collierdems.org. That's www.collierdems.org. Thank you for all your support. So on today's show, we have the president of the Collier County NAACP, Vincent Keys, on. President Keys, thank you so much for coming on. It's my pleasure. So it's been two weeks since the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, and we've seen protests erupt around the country in all 50 states. I was hoping you could give us your thoughts and the official position of the NAACP. Sure. We'd be more than glad to. We uh, have been in our second term here, and uh, so the Collier County branch of the NAACP has stated now the murder of uh, George Floyd by the Minneapolis Police Department is an unspeakable tragedy. I'm uh, actually sympathizing with the family and we're, as a community, are grieving his death and others as well. Breonna Taylor, Hamad Arbery, and many more who have lost their lives at the hands of police. So I have to admit to you that sadly, police brutality against the black communities have been an ever present circumstance since its origin to preserve the system of slavery. Black families, whites, and brown communities across this country are unified at this point or at this moment in time. The unrest during this pandemic has and is spreading like wildfire across the world against systemic racism. And so we say shame. Shame on those who will not support the change necessary all over the world. If you're not on the right side of history, shame, shame, shame. So what has happened to George Floyd and others was a modern day lynching. Instead of the rope, it was a policeman's knee and the NAACP wants to see an end to it. So what can local citizens here in Collier County do to help? How can they how can they get involved? How can they do more to make sure that these types of incidents don't happen in the future? Well, people need to know that peaceful protests are protests that are somewhat necessary. We as a community are demanding persistently now and I mean it has happened just far too many times and so we're demanding persistently justice for George Floyd and while we continue to protest and make our demands known we must fight politically register to vote in your local and national elections and if you can't go out because of this coronavirus, get your mail-in ballot. And so those are the three things that we believe everyone can do to help in this regard. Yeah, and I can't, I can't second that enough, the, the need to, for everyone to get out and vote, because so many of the decisions that are made in local communities with regard to police happen at your local elections. 
It happens with people that you can vote for that are in your own community. So uh, I cannot stress enough to everyone that signing up for vote by mail and making sure that you get out to vote is one of the more important things, especially if you're not going to be able to get out and support in the peaceful demonstrations that are going on. So, President Keyes, which where do you think the nation goes from here uh, with this? Because we're seeing, you know, for the for one of the first times since really the civil rights movement, a galvanizing uh, force of of different uh, people, different ethnicities, different financial backgrounds, all coming together and marching for for a single cause. Where do you think the nation goes from here? Well, quite frankly, our nation needs healing. We need healing because it was so tragic to see George Floyd's last breath come to him at the knee of a police officer. So prayerfully and simultaneously, we need to mobilize, we need to strategize, organize, and unify our nation moving forward with concrete change and justice for all. We locally want respect, we want fairness, we want equality for all of our people. Not to forget reparations for the atrocities of black people. This was and has been a wicked act involving physical violence. We've had some protests here locally over the last two weeks uh, that have that have come up organically. How have those gone with regard to the interactions with the police and uh, with the protesters in general? Well, the protests have gone relatively peaceful. We have had a few bad actors. There have been a few arrests and protesters that were arrested or some who are even on administrative leave from their jobs. There has been a hit and run that took place and some who have even come out with AK-47s. But all in all, relatively speaking, most of the protests have been peaceful. And the response from local leaders, elected leaders, uh, the sheriff and county commissioners and city council, what has their, their response been? Well, positively and basically wanting to know what it is that they can do, which we have in turn provided information. We, the NAACP, have been working on solutions with the Collier County Sheriff's Office, the Naples Police Department, and the Marco Police Department. We have issued a list of demands and we have secured a statement issued by all the agencies. Moving us forward, we confirm that the use of force, while we realize now that the knee on the net use of force practice is not one used here in Collier County. We also have scheduled uh, schedules and, and we're moving forward with plans for our political and state attorney offices on the no-knock warrant. Of course, we want to confirm that that no-knock warrant procedure is not used here in Collier County. So we've had a long-standing relationship with the Collier County Sheriff's Office. And generally speaking, I, I, I say, based on the past work that we've done, that we are on a path towards change and justice here in Collier County. That's good news that you're seeing some progress with with regard to the demands that you're putting forward. I was hoping that you could talk about the meeting that went on on Thursday and the subsequent hacking that happened. I wanted to get your your input on it, your your comments on it. For those that didn't hear, the NAACP had set up a, a community meeting with the local elected leaders, including the sheriff's office. Uh, and uh, and it did get hacked. It was on Zoom, uh, and there were some offensive racial slurs and uh, pornographic uh, content that was put forward in front of everybody, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on that. Well, 
being that there's an open investigation right now going on, I would be very hesitant to talk about that because that issue currently is being handled by the FBI and the Collier County Sheriff's Department. So I would like to refrain for for offering any comment on on that point. But I will say that based on my experience from that night, that this was a very demonic cyber attack that ought to be tracked down and handled at the highest level because we, the people, should not be exposed to that type of action. And it was just an attack not only on African-Americans, but all those involved that were on the call. So I want to talk about the rally that uh, is scheduled on Wednesday. And correct me if I'm wrong, there's some different things going on. Uh, The NAACP uh, originally, I think, was going to hold this rally. It sounds like now that rally is going to be held by Surge, standing up for racial justice. Can you comment on why the NAACP moved off of it uh, and allowed Surge to take over? What was the thinking behind uh, that decision? Well, we, the NAACP, canceled that event. However, Surge showing up for racial justice is heading up the peaceful rally and solidarity demonstration. I have to admit that it poses a great bit of concern. And so we, the NAACP, work towards solutions. We are not in the business of creating problems. And so ultimately, it is our intent to find solutions. Now, can we do that by protesting? Yes, it helps. But at the same time, to protect public safety, we encourage action. Action that's going to yield the kind of results needed for our nation to become one. So uh, we have uh, Juneteenth coming up, and I was hoping uh, that you could, on June 19th, I was hoping that you could, for our listeners, describe what Juneteenth is and let them know what, what that celebration is and what, what's going on with that. Oh, yes. Juneteenth is one of our oldest known celebrations, honoring the end of slavery in the United States of America. George Golden Granger led thousands of federal troops to Galveston, Texas, to announce that the Civil War had ended and slaves were and had been freed. That was on June 19th of 1865, which has been issued or should I say it had been issued back in January 1 of 1863. Amazing. It took that long for people to be set free. And those are our people. And another thing I would add, I'm very proud to let you know that I was born in Pennsylvania. And in the state of Pennsylvania, where slavery had been abolished since 1780. Now, it took that long, and it took us having a civil war between the North and the South before they would abolish slavery throughout the country. So in Pennsylvania, no person after that period could be a slave. They could not be held in involuntary servitude. So I'm so proud to have been born in the state of Pennsylvania because I'm absolutely shocked and appalled that the celebration or Juneteenth celebration took so long for the people down south. So President Keyes, is there anything else that that you want to leave our listeners with? Is there any uh, final thought that you want to convey to everyone listening? 
Number one, I do want to say to our people that please support the Juneteenth event. Please support the June 10th rally, peaceful rally at the courthouse step. I also would like to speak to our young people involved in this struggle. It's so good to see young people come out and connect with the struggles that have been going on for the last 400 years. The struggle of civil rights connected to the struggle of human rights. And I would ask them to please join your local chapter of the NAACP and remember our mission for 111 years now has been to ensure equal rights politically, socially, educationally, and economically for all persons. So please join with the NAACP in eradicating racial prejudice, which may take a while, which we're asking join the NAACP in efforts to find justice for George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Hamad Arbery, and so many, so many before us. So with that, I want to say thank you. Thank you to the young people who are in the struggle with us and ask them to please join the NAACP. I also want to make sure that people understand that we have started a bail fund so that we can assist many of the young heroes who have been arrested here. And we will continue to bail them out of prison because under COVID virus, we don't think it's a very safe place. Yes, and we'll put information in the show notes where everybody can go to to help out with the NAACP, to help out with uh, donating money to their cause and everything that they're doing and, and how they can get involved. So, President Keys, with that, I want to thank you so much for coming on and everything you do in the community. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, and we appreciate everyone's participation. Thank you for getting involved, and stay safe under these conditions. This election is the most important of our lifetime, and we see how important it is to have competent and effective leadership in all areas of government, from the White House to the State House. Your local Democratic Party is a fully volunteer force of dedicated Democrats who are continuing to work hard to defeat Donald Trump and elect Democrats up and down the ballot this November, and we need your help. We cannot do many of the things we normally do this election year, but there are still many activities that are safe and can be done from home. We need volunteers to help out with things like writing postcards or making phone calls in a virtual phone bank that will help us win in November. If you have the time to help us, please go to www.callyourdems.org. That's www.callyourdems.org. And click on the Get Involved button and become a volunteer. With your help, we can win in November. All right, so we've got our panel discussion here with Amber and Linda. Thank you guys for being back with me. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me, Jeff. All right, I'm going to go ahead and turn this over to Linda. We're going to talk about the George Floyd death and the subsequent protests and everything that's going on for the last week and a half. So, Linda, take it away. All right, I will tee it up. So, as most of everyone knows at this point, on May 25th, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, died in Minneapolis, Minnesota, after a white police officer knelt on his neck for almost nine minutes, where Floyd was handcuffed face down in the street, rendering him unable to breathe. Subsequent of that, the world has basically gone on fire. Like the whole world is in flames. And I think rightly so. Whatever is happening at the moment is a zeitgeist again of the ingrained racial injustice in this country. It is, of course, a topic that is never far from our minds, but I feel like the the mantle is being taken up by people that generally don't think about it or generally don't have a vested interest in it. 
I don't think that America has had this zeitgeist moment since Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, back in the 1960s. So since that day, America has entered a phase where it is protesting and these protests have led to protests abroad. Europe is, is right alongside with us and demanding that America understand its white fragility and understand its responsibility in perpetuating racial injustice. It almost renders me speechless, the things that have gone on since May 25th in this nation, some of them good, some of them bad, to bring on the conversation of what we can do to change the systemic injustice that Black people and minorities face in this country. Yeah, I I agree, Linda. And, And I have to say, I think this is the first time in my lifetime that I have felt that this kind of movement, like it feels palpable to me in the air what is going on. And I know that even a couple of years ago when we had the initial Black Lives Matter movement come out after the Michael Brown killing and Ferguson protests and and those spread across the country, even though I did feel at that time like, okay, maybe this is the moment where things will happen. I, I didn't feel it as strongly as I do now. I feel like the majority of people are fed up. And I think that maybe it just had to sit a little bit. Like people had to kind of get used to the idea of all of this, of the protests and what, and and be educated a little bit, even though there are many people that we all know who are woefully uneducated about this. I really feel this movement right now. And I'm hoping we will see some sort of change come out of this. Well, I'm just, I'm curious. I wanted to get your guys' opinion on this because I've been thinking about this a lot how particularly white people view race relations. You know, I feel like we do a disservice in the way we teach civil rights because we talk about the civil rights, at least when I was in less so in college, but more so in elementary school and high school, there's so much triumph that is, that is placed on the civil rights movement. Rightly so. There's, it, it's, it's a terrific moment and Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech and the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act that that came forward are great achievements for this country. But it gives a false sense to, I think, white Americans that we have fixed the problem. Right. It's done. We did. We did civil rights. We did, we did that back in the back in the 60s. And I Remember think, we did that. And I think what you're talking about, Amber, is that for a period there, with the exception of the Rodney King situation in the early 90s, White America specifically, this is not something that black America agrees with. Black America has been no. dealing with this for, for 400 years, as long as America has been in existence. But white America has not experienced it. And it wasn't until the Black Lives Matter, the Ferguson, Michael Brown, that it started to become more in the mainstream consciousness. And I think you're right. I think now we've seen a string of black individuals unarmed be killed by police or in in situations where there were white people who misjudged the situation and killed an unarmed black person. Can we put quotes around misjudged? But yeah, go ahead. Well, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I know. I know you correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Misjudged in the in the view of the white person who ended up committing the crime. But there is no reason for it. And even in the Michael Brown situation, when we when we think about that, the police officer said, well, he was doing this or he was doing that. And there wasn't a very clear video of it and whatnot. And there was these questions of, well, he was doing this or I thought he was doing that. This there is none. It's eight and a half minutes of a man sitting on another man's neck while he pleads for his life and nothing is done. Not, not And the worst part about it is the three other cops who are standing around and none of them says, hey, maybe we should step in and stop this guy. It, it's just, it's a painful thing to watch. And I, while other people are around, there are other voices. This is not yeah, happening in a vacuum. There are other too. voices around there saying, you need to check his pulse. He's dying. All the, he himself is saying, I'm dying. I can't breathe. And there's like, there's zero reaction from, from the people who were in quote in charge there. Yeah. And so, I, I want to bring up this because this is the thing that I really it frustrates me about police. And, and look, I understand that the police have a job. 
that is extremely difficult and extremely dangerous. But the thing that really frustrates me is that the argument that you hear from police is that all police are doing their best, but there are a few bad apples. But the problem is, is that you don't see all of the good apples saying, hey, get rid of those bad apples. They're giving us a bad name. So there was a USA Today investigation from 2019. This is in October of last year. And by the way, for anyone who's wondering why you only get to see news organizations doing the investigations, it's because the U.S. government doesn't have a central database where they collect misconduct by police officers. That has to do with police unions and it has to do with lobbying efforts. So the U.S. government, just like they don't collect data on gun violence, they don't collect data on police misconduct. But the USA Today investigation from 2019 in October of last year found that less than 10% of officers in almost all police departments are the ones investigated for misconduct. But the problem is, is that those same officers who are routinely investigated don't lose their jobs. They found that 2,500 of the 30,000 officers that were investigated in this study had more than 10 investigations of misconduct. And 20 of those police officers had over 100 investigations. And yet they still kept their badge for years on end. And so this is the problem. A daily daily news story from February of this year, February of 2020, reported that there were 14 police officers in New York City that had 87 lawsuits against them. And then a report by 538.com this week reports that police departments regularly pay out settlements to victims that don't result in firing of the offending officers. The report in 538 said between 2011 and 2017, the NYPD paid $630 million in misconduct settlements. The LAPD paid $139 million in the same period. Chicago PD, $398 million, and Philadelphia, $90 million. This is in misconduct settlements against police officers. This is taxpayer money, and they're paying it out for misconduct settlements. My question is this. If police are upset because there's this broad brush being used against the police saying that they're all doing these things, and I look, I'm not someone who agrees with that. I think that the majority of police officers are trying to do the best job that they can. I agree that it's a very slim minority that are doing these things. But the problem is, is that the police, they defend and protect the ones that are doing the bad things. You need to get rid of them. You need to stop wasting taxpayer money on settlements for misconduct of police officers that has shown a repeated profinity to do these things. Like you cannot keep these people on the payroll. And it, all it does is promote things like this. That's all it does. Well, it's always been a fraternity. I mean, they make TV shows and movies out of this for no reason, really. They're just going to protect each other to the death. And that's what we saw in in that video. We saw three other officers who I'm sure have minds of their own, but it didn't even occur to them to sanction the officer that was doing it. And mind you, when we move around the car, there the two other officers were, were each on... George Floyd as well. And the one officer was keeping watch. And at no point in time did any of them think to speak up. And that is a culture that needs to be eradicated and killed within the police force. Yeah, there needs to be. There's like, you know, bro code. There needs to be a place that they can that they can speak out about this. And I'm sure there are some police departments that are doing better than others in this situation that they they do offer places where people can report bad officers. And and I'm sure that it does happen. But the amount that it is not happening and the fact that people are losing their lives because of, of that is that is a problem. And, you know, as you were saying that whole thing, Jeff, it kind of made me think about just our society as a whole and how we need to do better because you're saying, you know, the most of the police officers do not feel like this and do their best to make an effort to treat everybody fairly. And I think that goes the same with Americans as far as their views on, on race I think that in general, most Americans feel that they are not racist, feel that people of color should have the same rights as everybody else and all that good stuff. But the fact that they are not in the streets and speaking out about this, that makes us 
the problem, much in the same way as the good police not speaking out against the bad police. But is this a is the thing. Uh, this I, is the thing. I think police. We're Americans right now are being presented with a false choice, which is you, have, you either support the police or you support the protesters. You're undermining the ability for this country to be able to get better and to make changes. That's not what's happening. The good police, the good apples who aren't doing these things should be standing side by side with their fellow Americans saying this is not what should be happening. And I think police are missing the boat on that when they say, oh, we're be unfairly criticized or unfairly labeled as being bad actors when the majority of us do it the right way. That's right. The majority of you do it the right way. The problem is, is that the bad actors are ruining it for you and you're not doing anything about it. You guys know about it and you're not doing anything about it. Yeah. So in essence, you are complicit to it. You may not want to face that, but you are. Your silence means you're complicit. Again, I think this goes to society as a whole. I think there are people who are actively racist and want to make laws and make rules and regulations, which you know, has been since our country was originated, but they want, they're actively pursuing that. And most of these laws and rules are already just on the books and already happening. If we don't speak up against that and change these laws and, and get out and fight for this, then I think that everybody's complicit in a way. Yeah. All of us. And I'm seeing this today. I'm seeing this on social media. And people are like, well, I'm not racist because I teach my children all people of all colors are, are equal and all that kind of stuff. And that is not, that is not good enough in, anymore. Racism is built into our country. And as much as you are not actively doing anything to oppress or harm another person of color, the laws are already there. And that is the whole systematic racism that needs to be addressed that we're seeing that they're feeling we're not feeling we're like, well, I'm good, because I'm not doing that. So I'm good. And that's, I think the people's minds are shifting on that. That is not good enough. It is not good enough. Well, it's it's also a, a lifting up of the blinders and educating yourself. Yes, I mean, educating. I've I've had the I've had the pleasure of talking to you and I've had the pleasure of talking to Jeff, which is just further cementing that that onion peel scenario. The more you peel, the more you know, the more you learn that yes, these practices have been put in place. So if and that's what I tell people. I've had these discussions all week long with people of, of my own political party of other political parties and, and the way that they think and trying to, to have these discussions, some good, some bad about our place in it. And if you just want to educate yourself and understand that this isn't something that just happened on May 25th, this is a symptom of stuff that has already been happening since, uh, since before the civil war and particularly after the civil war, when, when all of these laws and mores were put in place for the specific pur- purpose is to keep a group yeah. of people down that are still yeah, in I, effect today. But, think, exactly. You know, the, but I think in addition to just, I mean, this is obviously a political podcast with, with the democratic and, you know, we talk about democratic and Republican values and whatnot, but I think this is really, this is a white person issue um, regardless of your, of your political standpoint. I mean, so I, I want to think about this. We we've had, peaceful protests here in Naples for uh, the last few days regarding the George Floyd situation. And here in Naples, with the small minority population that we have, the police all showed up in riot gear for these protests. They all showed up in with shields and full gear and masks and everything ready for a riot. And just a month ago in Michigan, white men armed with AK-47s walked into the Michigan state Capitol and every single police officer was just in their normal uniform. That illustrates without a doubt, the difference in how African Americans and white Americans are dealt with by the police. Because when African Americans decide to show up in protest, the police say, I got to get the riot gear about that. That's the difference. And that's not, that's not a police thing. That's not a Democrat or Republican thing. That's a white person thing. 
That is a white person being uncomfortable with black people to the point where they are saying, I feel afraid and I need all these things. We all know if you show up to a situation prepared for a fight and you're ready to duke it out, you're ready. You're going to look for the things that make you feel threatened. And if you've got all this gear and you feel very protected, you've got all this stuff, are you going to be more willing to interact with somebody as opposed to, to a police officer who is not protected, who is sitting there in just his uniform? I guarantee you that police officer is going to interact with the individual much more respectfully because he's much more exposed as opposed to the person who's got a shield. And that's what I think you're seeing with these protests. You're seeing all of these videos with these police in military garments and military equipment they feel very fine with pushing and, and attacking protesters because they're not threatened. If they were sitting there in just uniforms, they probably wouldn't be interacting with those individuals that way. They probably would be saying, okay, let's have a conversation. Please move off. They wouldn't be just immediately resorting to physical altercations. But I but- think I think maybe if, if history is going to classify it, I think this is going to be like the second wave of the civil rights movement. It's the second wave. Martin Luther King was the first wave. I yeah. haven't seen this anger and vigor since I learned about. So the thing MLK is interesting is I agree movement. with you. And, but the thing that I find interesting is that, and you guys were a little older than me, but for me, Rodney King stands out to me a lot, but I was too young to understand what was going on then. Cause I was nine years old then. And yeah. I get the feeling that people view the Rodney King situation as a distinctly African-American experience. That it didn't didn't have the, the you know but the, I the civil rights movement of the '60s had a substantial amount of white Americans that stood up and said we're going to participate because we think this is wrong. Whereas this this one has a right. similarly multiracial exactly. coalition that is coming out and saying we're not going to stand for this anymore. I think that's an important dissection to make for sure. I mean, we had it. It's it's again the watershed. Rodney King was horrible, but it, I felt like it existed in a vacuum. It was like an L.A. Right. thing. And even though well, it, was it was horrible, it was not happening to them. And the society as a whole was not ready to accept this. And kind of as we discussed earlier, when Jeff mentioned that we thought civil rights, like we had dealt with that. Like, we're good. We got yeah. they got their rights. We're good to go. And I don't think that really occurred I to think, people. Um, and I think that especially what back we're then. Seeing, and to your point, Amber, at the very beginning, which is saying that we needed it to sit for a little bit. I think with the Rodney King situation, because it was an LA thing, people in other parts of the country got to say it's an LA thing. That's the LAPD is bad, yeah. not every PD. And I honestly, right. I really and believe that seen, that is what happened. We, it was we've like seen this, Trayvon Martin. Yeah. Now we've we seen see Trayvon something Martin else. in Florida. We've seen Ferguson <sighs> in Kansas. We've seen Eric Garner in New York. We're seeing Louisville. Baltimore. You know, now Minnesota. Like, you're seeing it all over. It's everywhere. And so that's it's why everywhere. white America is starting to go, wait a second. We're seeing this everywhere. But white America also needs to be aware that the blind spot that allowed you to go for 30, 40, 50, 60 years thinking that we've won this battle isn't going away after this spasm of protest. You need to realize that this is something that is completely ingrained in the American society. And if it's not good enough to just be not racist, you have to be anti-racist. You have to go out and say, we're not accepting what's going on right now. And you can't just say, well, I'm good but I understand that there are racists out there, but I'm not racist. You have to say, I'm not only not racist, but I am against you who are racist. And that is definitely needed in this, in this time. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the protests in general and particular, I know all of us have been on social media and digesting news in various forms, but the amount of misinformation that has come out about the protests and this is coming out from the White House as well. So this is not just coming out from these subversive groups on the internet lurking and spreading misinformation. I mean, this is coming from the top when the President of the United States is declaring that Antifa is a terror organization and that they were a major part of the violence in the protests. And then you have coming out this week, the FBI had a report basically said that there's no intelligence showing that there was any 
Antifa action in organizing this violence, yet that is spread everywhere. Um, in fact, there's been this specific targeted effort, it appears, for a lot of small towns in rural America in particular, where they're spreading posts that there's buses of Antifa rioters that are coming to their town. And all of a sudden, these local police departments are just getting flooded with calls like, oh, these buses are coming. What are we going to do about it? And the police departments have said, uh, we have not heard about this. There's nothing that we know about this. There was you know, several over the weekend where there's supposedly going to be these enormous riots in these towns by people bust in from Antifa. And of course, nothing happens. But what does that do? What is the point of all of this? Well, you see that it inflames the people on the right. It gets them motivated. It gets them out there. There was one town, I think it was in Iowa, that had a whole line of armed militia before a protest and they were saying, well, we're here to make sure that stuff doesn't, stuff doesn't go bad because this was, this information was spread. And of course we've known, we've since then found that there were several groups that have since been taken off of Twitter that were labeling themselves as Antifa and inciting violence. Well, it turns out they were set up by these uh, white supremacist group. In addition to their certain anarchistic Groups who just pretty much want to burn it all down, do not like the police, do not like the government, and are using this as a reason. And I am not blind to think that this is solely on the right. There are certainly groups on the left that are anti-government, but there has been no indication on any of the studies from any of the the groups that we have found that the left wing is a major proponent of this, almost Always the people that have been arrested, the websites and Twitter accounts that have been taken down have been linked back to white supremacist or alt-right groups. Like some of the stuff is just, again, willful ignorance on the part of white Americans. It's saying, oh, this person, George Floyd, that video is so unambiguously bad that I have to express some sort of frustration with it. I have to express some sort of outrage with it. But the moment I see anything that allows me to absolve myself of being outraged and then can go back to my normal held position of saying that they don't want that, you know, that, that they're overreacting, this is bad, you know, we need to maintain order, et cetera, et cetera. You want an excuse. You want an excuse. You want something that reaffirms what you already believe. So something comes out and it reaffirms what you feel. And then you go, right. oh, I don't well, have to worry sense. about that now. I don't have to deal with that now. I don't have to be outraged about that now because I saw this post that alleviates me of the cognitive dissonance that I have in my body that says, I am a good person. I don't think this should happen to somebody. But, oh, you, you're telling me that, that it's not actually bad. They're doing these other things. Okay, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to worry about it. That's, the, that's a problem for white American. Again, it's, it's, not, it's not Democrat or Republican. There are Democrats that, that have the same issues. And, and it's not Republican, oh, yeah. Democrat, or anything. It is a white American issue. We need to all, as white Americans, understand our complicity in it. That doesn't mean you're doing it on purpose. It doesn't mean that you're purposely racist. It just means that your silence is allowing these things to continue. And you need to be willing to not do that. Yeah, I think that's what that's what has angered me most about the discussions that I have and the discussions that I've been having with family and friends on, on either side of the aisle. It's definitely not a Democrat or a Republican issue. And I've been making a point, actually, to not hide in the shadows. And when I see that that level of, of transference, then I'm, I attack it head on. And I've been doing the past couple of weeks and it, it, it just angers me because that's what I've been hearing that this was, this was so horrible that my gosh, they shouldn't have, have thrown a brick through a super target. That's just really bad. And is anyone saying that rioting is great? Is anyone saying, yes, let's, let's just, let's burn businesses down. Let's doing that. No, but if you've never been that marginalized by society, you can't possibly understand the level of anger and underneath that anger, extreme sadness and hurt. 
And that is what I think people are discounting. You do not know the, the depths of these emotions and you probably never will because you're white. And now as we move forward from these riots and you are seeing the, the reaction between the interactions between police and the rioters, which are some so bad and some, which of course are not getting a lot of airplay, really good. There are police officers out there taking a knee with people. Oh yeah. There are I've seen that. Officers I've seen a lot of that who are, are trying to show their support for the black community. So when we're talking about the response to the rioters in our public lives, it's been interesting to see the response that the, the death of George Floyd and the subsequent rioting well, has elicited from members yeah. of our government. The, the, the issue isn't with so much their response to George Floyd, but really most of the condemnation that is coming from Republicans at this point has to do with President Trump's uh, photo op that he did on Monday of this week, where police officers or military personnel dispersed peaceful protesters in Lafayette Square uh, with tear gas and and by beating them and pushing them and hitting flash grenades that went off uh, to try to move them out of the square and all in the effort to allow President Trump to walk across the square and stand in front of uh, a church with a Bible and take a photo op, a photo op with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, with the Secretary of Defense, with the Attorney General, and all of this uh, simply just to try to put out some sort of. There's no, you can't even, don't even, there, it doesn't, yeah, there's, it doesn't make, I don't even know how somebody, how they let yeah. it get to that point that far. Yeah. That At somebody what, yeah. didn't go, eh, eh, maybe we uh, shouldn't do this. I just yeah. want to say yeah. that I've never seen somebody hold a book more awkwardly than in that <laughs> photo. Like, I don't even understand how you, how does anyone even hold a book like that? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And this is, what we're seeing from from Republicans right now is that you're seeing Republicans come up and and state that they are against this action, specifically the clearing of peaceful protesters for a photo op yeah, for a non-essential people issue. who were involved in it, like Esper. Correct. But we have General Jim Mattis, the defense secretary before Esper uh, wrote a scathing op-ed calling out Trump for his actions and, and stating that the, uh, the military and Trump had violated the protesters' constitutional rights, and it was a, an extremely damaging essay that he wrote. Lisa Murkowski recently, a senator from Alaska, says that she isn't sure that she can even support the president. George Will, considered one of the founders of the Republican conservative movement, wrote a, a brilliant op-ed that uh, called for all Republicans in all positions to be voted out for their complicitness with the Trump administration. And even Susan Collins, who has made a career of straddling the moderate divide, has recently announced that she will not attend a visit by President Trump in Maine. I really wanted to talk to you guys about, do you guys really think any of them are going to follow through with their concerns about his actions in this particular moment? I do. I think some. And I think that I think, you know, like Susan Collins and Murkowski, I mean, I don't know about them. They're they've always been they've had chances to speak out against some of the terrible things and they jumped right back on the ship. So I don't have a lot of faith in the elected politician. And maybe this is my optimism seeping in and it'll bite me in the ass once again like it did in 2016 when at 10 30 at night i was like there's no way he's gonna be elected <laughs> it's not possible <laughs> so i i could you know take that with a grain of salt but i do feel like the ship is is sinking and after the four years and these last several months to stay on this ship people jump ships when they're sinking and they can see it I just, I, and I hear you, I, I just, you know, this may be the time that Republicans, you know, these Republican senators and congresspeople jump ship. But I, I got to point out, these members have had countless opportunities oh. to recognize that this president does not believe in our system of government, does not believe in the ideals that American America, I mean, this is the guy who fired Jim Comey while he was investigating him. He said, hey, 
There are good people on both sides of a no, Nazi rally. Go he ahead. took Putin's words of the U.S. intelligence agency. He called the press the enemy of the, the people. He called African countries the shithole countries. He put children at the border in cages. He encouraged investigations into, his, into Joe Biden by withholding aid to Ukraine. He's told his Justice Department to interfere in Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, and Paul Manafort from legitimate charges and convictions. He has fired inspector generals for investigating him and his administration into his abuses. He has supported Mohammed bin Salman for his murder of Jamal Khashoggi. He abandoned the Kurds in Northwest Syria to be attacked by Turkey. That one led to Jim Mattis's resignation. He's lied every day, all day, without any care or concern. And there are so many other non-important tri- things that he has said, like trying to buy Greenland, drawing on a weather map because the hurricane changed course, suggesting bleach be injected into patients <laughs> with COVID, or claiming that revolutionary soldiers protected the airports during the Revolutionary War. There are hundreds of, of reasons why Republicans could say, oh, hey, wow. you know, I'm out. This is this guy is not really on board with. I think they will. I think they will. I think that I think you have to look at, too, the way that he has has ran his administration and anybody that speaks out against them. The vitriol and the just backlash is immediate and and intense and nobody's going to put themselves in that situation. Well, I shouldn't say that. You should put yourself in that situation. But a lot of these politicians, it's like they're just saving their skin. And I guarantee when that is no longer a threat, you will see more of this. And I don't think it's going to happen yet, but I think closer to. And again, this could be my, 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 I still have a slight, (laughs) I'm still holding on that there's some sort of morality in this world. Like I, I still think it's there, but maybe I'm, I admire you. I admire you. Delusional. Linda, what do you? (laughs) Yeah. I have, I have a much more jaded opinion about the halls of Congress than you, Amber. Oh, I do too. I have PTSD from 2016 where I went deep into the night, crunching the numbers, thinking, no, yeah. surely, not surely County this isn't is what's going to happen. Surely. So I think yeah. it is interesting that they're publicly saying this, yeah. because I don't think we heard anything mm-hmm. like that for the past three years. Voters need to remember, and anyone who is listening needs to remember, if any of these Republican legislators, I, legislators, I don't know who they are or what they're going to do, if any of them about faces and says, no, we can't stand for this, and I'm going to make a stand here. Everyone needs to remember that Republicans had hundreds of opportunities to stand up and be heard and say, I do not believe in this. John McCain did. John McCain said at every moment he stood up and said it. The Republican Party right now is not one of ideals, and it is not one of priorities. It is a party completely dictated by the whims of Donald Trump. So I, I guess, guys, as we move forward and as we try and see where we're going to go from here, I took comfort in former President Obama's recent words on this issue. He made a really good point, And I think maybe that's something that we need to pay attention to. What can we do locally to change the face of systemic racism? And he pointed to understanding that district attorneys, police chiefs, justices in in our courts all those people are elected officials they are all voted in and they are all voted out and they are in the front lines of making decisions on how people live how they are prosecuted the cases that move forward truly the police chief He's the one that's dictating how his officers behave, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. So I think locally, there's a lot of work we can do here. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to end this topic to remind everybody that engaging in civic participation through voting has direct effects in the way the police and the way criminal justice is handled in your local community because the local prosecutor, the local police chief, the local county commissioners and and all of the local politicians have a huge 
impact on how that stuff is handled. So we'll go ahead and end it there. I want to thank Linda and Amber for coming on. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. That's our show. I want to thank President Keyes for taking time in a very busy and difficult week for coming on to give us his thoughts. Thanks for Agent 13 for the theme song. Please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We have only 145 days left until Election Day, so please sign up to help. We only get one shot to do what needs to be done, so please do everything you can. Hope everyone is staying safe out there. Until next time, so long. Thank you.